Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. John Lennon once said, a dream you dream alone is only a dream. A dream you dream together is reality. Join me as we connect dreams to reality by chatting with innovators from around Washington, DC. Our show is proudly sponsored by the DC chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. This is the Impactful Leadership Show. Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough, CEO of Blackburn Capital Advisors. Today's guest is an entrepreneur, author, podcaster, speaker, trusted advisor. He's been featured in the New York Times, Huffington Post, Wall Street Journal, Entrepreneur Magazine, and Forbes. He's also a weekly columnist in Inc. Magazine. Uh, he's the host of OmniSites Podcast, founder of multi, and CEO of Multifunding. Please welcome Ami Kassar. Hey, Ami. Hey, great. Pleasure to be with you, my friend. It's great to have you on the show. So today's show is about leadership. And my favorite question to ask my guest is, Ami, tell me about some misconceptions in leadership. That it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to, to me, leadership is just about being true, true to yourself. Mm. So I sometimes... I wonder if maybe the misconception of leadership is called maybe fake leadership. People, people who look so plastic and so made up and so perfect every single time. Maybe that's a misconception about leadership because that's not what leadership really is about. I think if you're a real, real leader, you're vulnerable and you're honest and you expose your weaknesses and you tell people the good and the bad and maybe that's the misconception about leadership. Leaders, if if the perception of leadership is you have to be perfect and all buttoned up all the time, that's not real life. Yeah, that's that's spot on. Um, you know, digging into that a little bit deeper, can you give us some examples of what of how you've seen leaders come off as being or seeming fake, or? examples in your leadership journey of where you're like, you know what, I'm just not my true self right now. So, I mean, there's two, there's, there's two questions there, right? Yeah. So uh, leaderships, leaders who seem fake, I think if, if, well, I mean, I'll, 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 this is a, classic part maybe this the story pins right through your questions right so as you know i do a lot of public speaking and this and that and i've been working with a speech coach to help me with my speaking career and this and that and he brought one of his partners on the phone the other day and he said we have some advice for you you're not gonna like it i go what's that he said you need a stylist. And I said, excuse me, what did you say? He said, you need a stylist. And then I hung up the phone. <laughs> Not quite, but close. But his image of leadership or was that you have to be all buttoned up and look a certain way and perfect and, and just be like, that's like, you have to look that way. Everything's got to be, you know, your pants have to fit perfectly and your shirt has to be tucked in or whatever it is, or you have to have a nice blazer on. And I'm like, that's just not who I am. 
like that's not my authentic self. If my pants don't fit quite right or my shirt's untucked or I didn't shave, that's the day I'm having. And I don't know if that story pins through everything that you're talking about. And then actually, uh, Greg and I are both in EO and uh, there's a member of our chapter who's actually a men's custom clothing guy. He, he custom clothing. And so uh, my wife came with me to an EO conference and I warned him, if you get near her, I'll, I'll kill you. <laughs> and he got near her and they made an appointment and I canceled it. <laughs> so, but I'm not digging into that, but I think it, 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 the, the image of that kind of points to what I'm talking about. Like, Sometimes when we ask, so oftentimes when we ask people to start a conversation, how are you doing? And 99.9% .9 of the time, it's great. How are you? Great. But I guarantee you, we're not great 99.9% .9 of the time. Sometimes we're having a shitty day. Yeah. So try to answer that question honestly next time. I'm okay or I'm tired or... I'm kind of exhausted or kind of pissed off today. And it startles people, but that's actually an honest conversation. That's leadership, I think. That's very well said. And and Ami, I wonder, um, given the business that you're in, how much of that perception is from the work that you do? And we'll get into that in a minute. We'll explain to the audience what you do, but how much of that perception and, and awareness is from the work that you do where you're advising companies on their ability to, you know, get funding. Um, or is that something you've carried sort of throughout your career? Has that been your approach? Is that sort of in your DNA just to have that, you know what, today's just a bad day for me <laughs> and being honest about it. Well, I think it's in my DNA, but I also think that there are maybe two types of entrepreneurial companies. And I think if you're running a company where you are getting venture capital or private equity and counting on multiple rounds of financing to grow and build your business, almost every day is a great day hmm. because you're, you're telling a story, right? You're, you're selling a dream. And when you approach those investors, you got to sell that dream. I think when you decide to bootstrap a company or build up a, a company from the ground up, there's no way in hell every day is going to be a good day. Mm. And, and when you approach lenders, if that's what you do to borrow money, there's nowhere to hide. You've got your tax returns and you've got your numbers and the forecasts have to be reasonable. The projections have to be reasonable. And it has to cash flow. Mm. And I like those kind of entrepreneurs better. But if you're building a team also, and you're building a company from the ground up, in my opinion, if you want to build credibility with your team and you want to lead your team through the ups and the downs and the highs and lows, sometimes you got to be willing to tell them you're having a shitty day. Or it's not going so great, but I'm powering up. We're going to be all right, but yeah, it, yeah this is tough, but we're going to get through it together. 
versus. Hee-haw, this is rosy. This is great. This is awesome. We'll go get our next round of capital. Everything will be great. It's not that one path is right or wrong. They're just very different. Mm. Yes, that's very well said. Um, And thinking about the deals that you've seen, those types of, those two different buckets of entrepreneurs, do you ever find that they kind of revert back to the mean? Does Does the private equity venture capital CEO, leader, founder, who's got a great day every day, eventually come back to, you know what, some of these days are hard and the reality sets in and they kind of come back to admitting that, or is it, do they stay on their troop on those two paths? So I don't really know because I don't hang out with people like that very much. <laughs> okay. Cause I don't generally like them that much. Um, but I think once you're on that treadmill, it's hard to get off of it. Mm. Right. It's hard. It's if you're in that, if, if you're in that lane, unless you fall off, fall off of it entirely, it, it's hard to get off of it. Mm. I mean, think about maybe the Uber story or whatever. You're, you you got to get your next round in. You got to keep telling your story. Fair enough. Right. Fair enough. And you don't, You've given, you've chosen that path to build that way, and you don't know the other way. Oftentimes, sometimes when people come to us and they want debt, but they've been trying to pitch investors, the answer is you got to throw away that business plan, mm. right? Like you, we, you need to craft an entirely different story if you want to borrow money versus go out and raise equity. And sometimes that's hard, that's a hard adjustment for people to make also. Certainly. Um, you're digging into that a little bit deeper on me. I, I'd love to hear uh, like some common mistakes that you see the bootstrapping entrepreneur looking to get lent funding, debt funding. Like what are the, what are the common mistakes that, that you keep bumping into when, when you're helping those customers uh, through that journey. I think the biggest thing is understanding how much money they need and for what, and what they're, what they intend to use the money for. So, and, and not trying to shoot too high. Mm. So I often tell the story when I speak and it's, it's an extreme story, but it, creates a contra- uh, an important contrast of early on in the business about maybe 12 years ago an entrepreneur called me who had of all things invented the world's greatest horse shampoo and some jerk had taken the only $40,000 she had to her name to write a business plan that if I printed it would have probably gone up to my waist <laughs> And she was looking for $5 million to buy her building and her equipment and hire her management team to make her horse shampoo. And I said to her, have you sold any of this yet? And her answer was, I can't sell. I don't have my building or my equipment. And I said, I hate to tell you this, but you need to rip up your business plan and go start knocking on doors and find a co-packing facility and start trying to sell your stuff. Mm. And, and I never heard from her again, but there's a lesson in that story. 
What investments do you want to make in the next 12 months in your business? What are they going to cost realistically? How do you intend to benefit from them? If you wanted to borrow money to cover that, how much do you need? And will the cost of capital be lower than your projected return from the investments? Looking six to 12 months ahead, not 24, 36, 48, or 60, it's too far. Mm. Because companies change and loan markets change. That's my best advice. That's insightful. Um, you know, digging into that a little bit deeper, Ami, you know, clearly that we're in a different environment today than we were six months ago, even a year ago. From a lending perspective, interest rates are going up, credit's getting tight. Uh, what are you seeing from the front line, from the lender's perspective that's different now that would be useful for our audience? Look, lenders need to keep lending money. That's how they make money. Right. They might have a slightly different appetite for risk, but they, they need to keep lending money. And sometimes the SBA becomes more important in times like this because they try to rely on the government guarantee if, if things go bad. I still don't have, I know everyone says this recession is coming and looming and looming and looming. And I have no crystal ball about what's going to happen. I don't think there's been a time in world history where governments have literally printed trillions of dollars to keep people off of hunger lines and keep people alive and keep the banks from collapsing. And maybe they overcorrected by 20% or 30%, but they did what they had to do. And now I think we're living through one of the huge COVID dominoes of all this extra money in the system. And I don't think, I would hate to be in the Federal Reserve right now. I don't think they know what to do. Mm. So I'm not convinced. I don't know what this economic time is or what's coming. I just know it's weird. And so what I advise business owners and entrepreneurs to do, as hard as it is, is just plow through it. We've been plowing through this uh, uh, uh uh, we've been plowing through this shit for years, and it's not. It's going to take years more. So just focus on your microeconomics. Focus on your business and your enterprise and what the opportunities are in your enterprise, and just keep going. Mm. And try to ignore all the noise out there, because you can go crazy. I remember a call I got. I had a call with an entrepreneur right when Russia invaded Ukraine. And they canceled the call. They said, we have to stop our plans because Russia invaded Ukraine. They were some an American business. I'm like, okay, that's your choice. But how's that any different to one of the other 50 bombs going off in the world right now? Mm. So maybe the world's going to blow up. But if it's all going to blow up, it doesn't matter anyway. But we need to just stay, stay in our lane and keep doing what we're doing. The world count, counts on us to do that as entrepreneurs. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, you mentioned um, things are weird, you know, from a the, the environment, the economy that they're in, excess of capital. Um, I'd love your insights on, you know, 
sort of the PPP money, EIDL, ERTC, like there's a lot of programs out there that, that to your point are creating noise and creating confusion and you know, EIDL and PPP are behind us. But now that we've kind of lived through that, as someone who's again, there on the front lines and supporting businesses through debt funding and the, and, and other things, um, I'd love to hear some of your insights of those programs, beneficial, not beneficial, Give us your your first take, and then any advice that you have. Again, the second <laughs> too loaded question. Any advice you have for businesses that have taken those opportunities and are using those programs? Yeah. So let's break it down. So PPP was created for the COVID crisis. I think, despite all its pitfalls, it was ingenious, mm. and it largely worked. Some businesses used all that money up and they needed it. Plenty of businesses got that money and they got it forgiven, but they didn't really need it. Their business landed up doing fine. And so where that excess cash went to the people, you know, one question is what created the supply chain problems? Was it generally supply chain or was it so much demand? Was it, I, just, I was with a friend at a Porsche dealership in San Diego a year ago or something, we walked in, the, the lot was empty. And the joke was, it was all the lawyers who used their PPP money to buy their portions. Okay. So that image, I think, tells a lot about the PPP. But PPP's largely come and gone, and there's still some excess cash in the system for it. EIDL is a whole different set of problems. So I think with the EIDL, and I've written a lot about it and talked a lot about this and got a lot of people angry at me about it, that's okay. Uh, um, the EIDL program, you have to look at the intent of the program. It's for when a hurricane or a tornado wipes a business off the face of the earth. And the program is designed to get those business owners, entrepreneurs relatively quickly access to long-term capital, low-cost capital to recover. And it was always designed um, to deal, it was never designed to deal with a massive national pandemic. Mm. Well, um, I'm blanking on that, the, the, hurricane or the tornado that hit in the South years ago. Um, I'm blanking on the name of it. Well, that was a big problem for the EIDL because like six or eight states were hit. Mm -hmm. And it took months and months for it to work through the system. And when COVID came, they had no idea what to do. So they started handing out 150,000 to businesses almost like with, it was like fast cash. It was like so easy to get it. It was ridiculous. But I understood why they were doing that. Then they went up to half a million. And then maybe a few months before the pandemic was over, they went up to 2 million. And that part of it, I thought was outrageous. Because they said to businesses now, irrespective of without any proof of the economic injury, you can get up to 2 million bucks. And it felt like FOMO, fear of missing out. Mm -hmm. And it felt like it was too good to be true. And it was, and people just grabbed the money. I've met people, Greg, who one guy at an EO conference a year and change ago got up in my audience and he said, dude, 
You won't believe my fortune. I just had the best year in my life. And the SBA just wired 2 million bucks in my account. And I just put a down payment on my jet. And I said, right there, you belong in jail. And he does. I've met people who've paid off their divorce settlements with their EIDL money. I've met people who got $2 million and bought crypto with it. All kinds of outrageous, outrageous stuff. The reality is that the government does not have the resources to go out and audit. And a small fraction of people will get audited and a small fraction, some of them will go to jail. The bigger issue is once you got an EIDL loan, the government has a, a lien on you. Mm. And when it, it gets time to borrow more money, which is happening, the first question the lender says to you is, what did you do with that money? And can you show me how you used it and did you use it for arthritis purposes? And a lot of times they can't answer that. If you can get through the lender, next up, you've got to go to the SBA for a subordination of the lien. Those subordinations are currently being run through 12 or 15 regional offices with no clear direction or guidance about when to subordinate or not. And oftentimes, it's turning into a disaster. And so the EIDL is causing a lot um, a, a lot of back-end dominoes that are going to be with us for a long, long time. That's in very insightful. Um, and it's certainly a lesson there. Um, are you dealing with clients now that are, are suffering through that subordination exercise? All the time. Mm. And we have to tell them, like there's one guy right now, who got $4 million of EIDL money through different entities. And he used it to hire, hire up his management team and hire up his staff, not to recover, but just to expand. And now his, he's used all that money, and now his accounts receivable is going like this, and he has a cash flow problem. And it's like, hey, bud, guess what? You're going to have to get a subordination agreement with the SBA before any new lender comes and gives you money against your AR. He says, what are you talking about? Or other uh, people who are now in fast growth situations and they need new working capital facilities. And they're like, I'm not giving up that SBA money. It's like, they feel like it's theirs. Mm. And I'm like, well, guess what? <laughs> like, you're probably going to have to. So, these discussions are happening all, all the time. Mm. And people don't realize it. They don't. I mean, there's, I had another conversation actually with a cousin of mine. She really got me angry. She's like, she's like, my EIDL loan is going to be forgiven, so I'm not giving it back, although I don't need it. It's just going to be like the PPP. They're going to forgive it like the student debt. I said, well, if they forgive it, I'm moving to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, if the money's sitting in your account, freaking pay it back. Mm -hmm. You don't need it. 
there's 4 million of them out there. It's going to take a SBA. If you think about it, the SBA in a typical year does like 60 or 70,000 loans. They're just not equipped to handle those. It's a big problem. Interesting. Um, I mean, let's take a step back and, and explain to the audience what you do. Uh, let's talk about your business, how you got into starting multifunding. Give us a little bit about your history and, and your story, your personal story. So there, there are a couple of questions there. So let me unpack it by just telling my story. Um, around 13 years ago, I I was the chief innovation officer for the largest issuer of credit cards to small businesses in, in, in the United States. And we had a million customers, about a thousand employees and a billion dollars worth of market cap. And we completely decimated in the Great Recession. Before it was my turn to be let go, I helped let 960 people go. Hands down, the toughest professional thing I ever did in my life. And then it wasn't a surprise I got laid off on a Friday by the bankruptcy trustees. On my way home, I went to the bank and I deposited a check for my full home equity line of credit. And then went home and told my wife what I did and I started multifunding on Saturday. What I wanted to do was build a service where business owners and entrepreneurs in a completely transparent manner could find out the loan options and alternatives to them and make sure they understood exactly what they were getting themselves in for and the pros and cons of the different approaches they were picking. And we started, took nine months before we, so what we do really is we listen to stories. People call us and we try and understand them and we try help them understand where they fit into the debt markets, if that makes sense for them at all. And if they want our help, we pack, get their stuff, we package it up and we take them out to the loan markets. We help them get a loan. It took nine months before we closed our first loan. I think our revenue in the first year was like $13,000. We had no idea what we were doing. And now we close a lot of loans. <laughs> Should do about I think we'll end up the year doing about 70 transactions, like $130 million of loans. So that's what we do. That's fantastic. So how did you, you know, from the day that you were let go, you, I would suspect you had this idea working behind the scenes, you know, many years prior to actually pulling the trigger. Is that is that the case or did you truly like, Friday was not, not many years, but for, for months when I saw it wasn't like a shocker, right? So mm -hmm. for months I was working on plans that could either happen for the company if we reorganized or for me if I got let go and I got let go. And I started, I started at the time with a partner um, who left four months later. Um, and we quote unquote, open our doors for business. I think six weeks later, we just put 7,500 bucks into the company. Um, we started in a one room office in an accountant's office and we got going. And the raw idea of the value of what the company was is exactly the same as it is today. Mm. We've, we've morphed a lot and evolved a lot. Loans have gotten bigger and better. We've learned a lot along the way, but our raw value of being there as the advocate for the entrepreneur through the loan process is, is exactly the same as it was. 
So talk to us a little bit more about your ideal customer. Like when should your phone ring? When should an entrepreneur pick up the phone and be like, hey, multifunding, I could use your support. Give us a sense of sort of ideal customer, where the fit is. I don't think there's um, one ideal customer. What I encourage business owners or entrepreneurs to do is if you think you need money wherever you are in the journey, just call us and we'll talk to you and we'll give you maybe a second opinion. Sometimes people walk into their banks and they just think, like, remember when you thought your parents knew everything? Sometimes people think their bankers know everything and they don't. Sometimes people are running to raise equity and they don't need to. Sometimes people have in their mind that they need more money than they do. Sometimes people think they need the wrong type of loan. And you don't have to take our advice. It doesn't cost anything to talk to us to have that initial consultation. You don't have to take our advice or listen to us, but we will most likely challenge your thinking. Mm. And then you can decide what you want to do with it. You don't, there's no pressure of sales on the multifunding process. We, we do what we do and it, it is what it is. And people, lending markets are pretty rational. Like we're not, you either fit in somewhere or you don't. And it either makes sense for you or don't. You should never borrow money without a plan. And you shouldn't borrow money uh, without understanding what you plan to do with it or why you're borrowing. Well said. And you should, I always joke about it, but it's true. If you're in a hurry for lunch and you go to McDonald's, you might have indigestion for a few hours, but you'll get over it. But if you're in a hurry and you make a bad financing choice, you could have indigestion for a few years or ruin, ruin your business. Which is why I hate the show Shark Tank, right? Because it, I think it, it, it creates, it helps to evolve that myth of like this. It's not that simple, guys. Like, mm-hmm. um, so um, slow down, get some opinions, plan ahead, think create some contrasts. There's almost always more than one way to skin a cat. It doesn't mean that choice A or B is is right. It is wrong or right, but you should understand them. And hopefully the choice at least gives you one sleepless night. Yeah, absolutely. You know, switching gears slightly, Ami, you, talk, you mentioned earlier about your speaking uh, career or path talk to us about like what topics you're you're speaking on are you doing on financing in particular are you doing leadership keynotes like let's say someone in the audience wants to host you like talk to us about the topics you touch on so one of the things i've learned in my journey is and i'm fortunate to be able to do this is that Honest to God, I don't really care if I get the, the help get the next loan. My passion in life, my purpose in life is helping entrepreneurs. Mm. And what I like to speak about is my two primary talks right now. One is new and one is about a year old. One is called Finding Your Growth Lane and Sleeping Well at Night. And what it's really about is 
trying to decide how big you, you want to get, how much risk you want to take, and how fast you want to get there. And working through a methodology to make those choices and then deciding and then just being clear about that. And a lot of the origin of that for me is in my early years when I was literally like bouncing payroll checks and sweating bullets. I had friends who were building fintech companies and raising rounds of multiple millions around at a time and having these fancy offices in New York and San Francisco. And I'd walk in there sometimes and I'd say, what the hell's the matter with me? Here they are with their 500 employees. Well, a lot of them are defunct now and here we are. But I remember just being stuck in that indecisiveness of what am I doing wrong? And if you can get comfortable with the path, you choose more power to you. Mm. The other talk I, I've just rolled out is, and we're starting to roll this out, is we build up a methodology like Myers-Briggs for entrepreneurs. So it's called entretypes. And so not all entrepreneurs are all the same. We each have our own unique DNA. And if you can f figure out your own unique entretype of what makes you tick and what makes you different and be comfortable with it, I think there's also a lot of peace in that. And so that's a new talk. I gave it at all the major EO conferences in late September and October, loved it. And we're getting ready to roll that out as well. Fantastic. So Ami, um, if somebody in the audience is looking to reach out to you, connect, do you have a social media platform of choice, email, LinkedIn, talk to us about all, how to get to All kinds of goodies. I have a daily blog called amisites.com. You can go there. Uh, my Twitter is Ami Kassar. You can always reach out to me at akassar at multifunding.com. I answer all my emails uh, or Ami at multifunding.com. And our main website is multifunding.com. Fantastic. And we'll put all those links and, and URLs into the, the show notes. So if anyone interested, just scroll down. You'll, you'll find how to get in touch with Ami. Ami, it's been awesome having you on the show today. Um, you've really got me thinking about some funding opportunities for a handful of my clients and uh, really thinking about the EIDL in particular. Um, appreciate your time as always. And it's great to see you. And that's a wrap, my friends. Thank you for spending your time with me. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at impactfulleadershipshow.com. One last food for thought, Walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone.